Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA's Blog Talk Radio. Today is February 1st, 2011, and I am Nick Augustine, your host. Our guest today is Melissa Smart from the ARDC. Melissa, are you there? I am. How are you, Nick? Good, good. I'm doing well. We are broadcasting today from a different location due to the snowstorm. So I apologize for uh, any inconvenience. I'm just pulling up some information. Why don't we go ahead and why don't you tell me a little bit about your uh, position there at the ARDC and uh, how you got to, I suppose, how you got to be working in the ARDC in this in this capacity. Sure. Um, I am a senior counsel and litigation manager at the ARDC. I recently um, was. Uh, promoted to the position of litigation manager within the organization, and I oversee a litigation group. Um, the ARDC is broken down into several divisions or groups, if you will. Um, one is an intake division, and the other is a litigation division. The majority of our attorneys are uh, located within the litigation division. We also have an appellate division, which we refer to as review board, um, and there are several attorneys that work in that um, group as well. I oversee one of the litigation groups. Um, and I obtained the position, boy, I don't want to say how long ago. <laughs> it was right out of law school, and I don't want to reveal my age. <laughs> but it was, I've been working here now for over a dozen years. I was a law clerk, actually. And ironically, um, at the time that I began working here, um, everyone was fleeing government work <laughs> because the private sector was so much better off and everyone was making money hand over fist. So as a law clerk, they asked me to stay on as an attorney. Um, I interviewed for the position and, and obtained a position as an attorney here. Um, and it's it's kind of rare that um, law clerks would be promoted like that. Um, they try to hire people with a little bit more um, experience out in the real world. But at the time, um, they I think they had five or six attorneys that had left to go, you know, start Internet companies and whatnot. So they were looking for people, and I've been here ever since. Wow, wow. Well, you know, it's a really interesting uh, career path that many of us take when we start law school and, and think we're going to end up in, in one position. And I suppose at the time you never think you're going to end up working for the ARDC. So uh, very, very interesting. I'm so, so glad to have you on the show today. We're going to read a couple announcements here uh, as we get going, and then we'll get into some of the uh, depth of the ARDC and things that we should all know. Um, and, by the way, today is ARDC's birthday, so... Melissa will tell us about that in a moment. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. Again, I'm your host, Nick Augustine, and this show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We also partner with U.S. and international firms for international legal issues. We help our clients manage their business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Now, by way of general disclaimer, we want to let you know that this show today is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on specific facts and location. Communication with our, among our attorney guests and audience on the show does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. This programming is politically neutral and objective, and counterpoints to views expressed on this show are always welcome. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. 
By the way, if you have a question for any of our guests, please call in at area code 917-889-9732. Press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. And again, you can always send an email to nick, N-I-C-K, at alrpra.com. want to give you a couple announcements. First, we do want to let you know that the International Software and Technology Law Firm of Marcus Stephen Harris presents their next software licensing webinar on February 15, 2011. Presentation titled, Webinar, Negotiating Software Licenses with Attorney Marcus Stephen Harris. Negotiating software licenses is a complicated process that takes knowledge and skill. Changing technology and new methods for software development and delivery have changed the game. The consequences of getting it wrong can be severe. This webinar will focus on understanding software licenses, their legal background, and how to maximize your rights while minimizing your risks during the negotiation process. Marcus Harris is an attorney who works with technology companies, software developers, and users regarding software development, licensing, ownership, and distribution. Prior to entering the private sector, he was senior corporate counsel at SSA Global Technologies, a global ERP software vendor. Mr. Harris has also worked in the legal contracts department of SAP, where he drafted and negotiated hundreds of technology-related agreements with SAP's Fortune 500 customer base. For more information about Marcus Stephen Harris, please visit www.mshtechlaw.com. And if you would like to attend this webinar, and you can find a link on the law firm's blog under their Publications tab. Additionally, as ALRPRA is promoting this event, you can email me for more information. My email again is nick at ALRPRA.com. We appreciate you passing on this information. The second announcement we want to make, is regarding Mary Erlane. She's the LinkedIn lady and business coach that you've heard on the show several times. She is going to help professionals learn the skill of connecting the dots and removing barriers. On March 15, 2011, from 8 to 9.30 a.m., Mary will conduct a hands-on leadership for women workshop for women rainmakers and leaders in business. This event will be held in the large boardroom at 35 East Wacker Drive, and ALRPRA is sponsoring your registration freeze, making this a free event. So come by and enjoy a light breakfast and enjoy the pragmatic and acclaimed Executive Leadership Workshop. The Leadership for Women program includes a content on affecting on issues affecting women in business, such as statistics, barriers, positive leadership, qualities of women, goal setting, the challenges of conducting, and the formula for success. When you attend Mary's workshop, you'll learn how to build positive self-image, understand motivation, approach the challenges of leadership, time management, and communication. Now, space is limited, so please register today by emailing nick at alrpra.com with women rainmakers and business leaders in the subject line if you'd like to reserve your complimentary seat for this workshop. ALRPRA is a Chambers Executive Suites tenant, and we want to also give thanks to Chambers for co-sponsoring this event. Now, back to Melissa Smart, and Melissa, I want to apologize. I have almost no voice left today. I'm, I have the, the sick, not the cold, not cold thing that's been going around, so I'm glad to, to turn things over to you for more talking about that. <laughs> oh, no problem. I'm used to dominating any conversation. Yes, my husband. Um, so, um, and I know, especially during this winter season, everyone's got colds. I have two little ones at home that are always got the runny nose now, so don't worry about it at all. Um, as you said, it is the anniversary of the ARDC, and we're always excited to talk about our organization. Um, since the new MCLE rules have taken into effect, and they're not actually all that new, but um, since we've had MCLE now in Illinois, the ARDC has taken a more um, – uh, 
a, a more uh, aggressive approach, I guess you could say, to outreach programs. So we're used to presenting and making speeches and whatnot regarding the ARDC, our history, what we do, and how to kind of maneuver through the system if um, on the off chance and, the, and, and, you know, poor luck that you may have that you get an ARDC grievance filed against you. So we're very used to speaking about these topics, and I welcome any questions that you may have. Um, did you want me to talk a little bit about the history of the, of the agency? Please. I'd, I'd love to hear about that. Sure. Um, as, as you had mentioned, um, we were formed on February 1st of 1973, so that makes us um, 30. 37 or 38 years old, the agency itself. Um, I'm not really good at math. That's why I went to law school. But um, (laughs) we've been around for quite some time. Um, The myth behind it, and I don't know if this is an urban legend or not, um, was that we were formed just like the Tollway Commission as a temporary commission. And just like the Tollway Commission, we've stuck around. Um, There was the temporary problem of attorneys who were not abiding by the, the rules and were not engaging in civil practice. And so they formed this commission and we've grown now to the point where in Illinois alone we have 88,000 attorneys registered to practice and that was um, 88,000 yep that was a statistic that I got just from our wow. yep just from our most recent um, admission which the admission ceremony was in November we admitted our new newest group of attorneys and we topped the 88,000 mark what's incredible about that though is that at any given time they say about 40,000 attorneys are actively practicing in the Chicagoland area and about 60 to 65,000 of those attorneys do have active Illinois practices um, at any at any given moment now a large proportion of that they say around 15 to 20,000 are just individuals who practice in other states but maintain the Illinois license so that they're able to practice in the Northern District of Illinois or maintain some kind of presence amongst Illinois attorneys. But at any given time, there's about 60, 65,000 Illinois attorneys actively practicing. And what's what's really interesting about that is that we're actually probably fourth or fifth in um, states as far as attorney population. Um, California always leads the way. They've got over 100,000 attorneys in California. Um, New York and Washington usually take up the second or third spot. And we come in usually around fourth with um, Pennsylvania and Florida around the same um, amount of attorneys as we have here in Illinois. Wow. So you said that in the, if the commission was established what year again? In 73. 1973. So it's a few years older than I am. But alive Me and too. Kicking, and <laughs> <laughs> so tell Not us many, a little, but... and we're going to... We're going to have a short show today because of the weather um, and everything else with the rescheduling, so we're only going to have about 30 more minutes left. But if we could, and we can do a follow-up show and get a little more in-depth when we have a day that we can focus a little more, that we don't have a big blizzard coming. So if we could just spend about a half an hour going through some of the uh, top ten questions I know um, you shared with me and and people might have. So these are, uh, again, top ten. 10 issues and questions that attorneys often uh, bring to you. And let me pull it back up here. So what, can you tell us first if you could uh, just for the way of what is the most common question you're asked before I ask you some questions? Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, first of all, our office has an ethics inquiry program. It's, it's part of our outreach. We um, host this um, this 
we participate in this program whereby members of the public or attorneys um, in general can call our office and ask an ethics inquiry question. We ask that they keep the question hypothetical and we don't give legal advice, we don't give binding legal advice, but we can give guidance as to rules of professional conduct that would um, give the attorney some help or that could give the member of the public some help regarding ethical issues, um, issues that pertain to the rules of professional conduct. Um, I'm, I participate in this program as do all the attorneys in the office. And I can tell you, bar none, the number one call we get from attorneys is, do I have a HIMO obligation? We always get mm -hmm. that HIMO question. And it's in one of the ten that's on our website. Um, and if I could make a plug, it's www.iardc.org. And it's not really a plug because I'm not making any money, nor is the ARDC. But if mm -hmm. you listen to this program and you want to get your money's worth, take a look at the website because I'll give you just one tip because I know we have a short program today and I completely understand and I'd be happy to come back at any time. Um, but on our website is, uh, are some webinars that are free webinars um, whereby attorneys can get MCLE credit for free, up to four hours, I believe. And not only is it general MCLE credit, but you can get the um, ever-loving professionalism credit from those four hours as well. So those are much sought after, and they're free. All you have to do is watch the webinar on your computer. You can do it in the comfort of your office or your home, but um, that is on our website. So um, if you want your money's worth today, take a look at the website because you'll get um, some free MCLE credit off that webinar. Excellent. But, and I'm looking at the website here with these questions too. And we will get into some of these today and some of these on our next show. Um, but generally, a statement that I've heard, and maybe you can confirm this, is so many lawyers who receive complaints are not timely in responding, and that causes a problem. That's a huge problem. Um, and I'll give you uh, I'll give you a one-up on that. Not only is it people who don't respond timely, but we get a bevy of attorneys who just don't respond at all, which is so baffling because i got to tell you, you know, I – I don't make money per case. You know what I mean? I'm not a private attorney. I don't relish the thought of going to our hearing panels and asking for formal disciplinary measures against an attorney who just merely was negligent in responding to us. But if we don't get a response from an attorney just on our basic grievance, we're forced to proceed against that attorney. And it really baffles the mind to consider that people don't even take the time and value their own license enough to merely respond to the basic inquiries that we get. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I would advise people on our website, in addition to the webinars, are also some publications. And there's one called Avoiding ARDC Anxiety, and it was written by our former administrator, Mary Robinson. And there's some real helpful tips. If you do get a grievance from the ARDC, um, it gives you some, I would take some time and read that article because it gives you some real helpful tips as to how to respond, how to do it in a timely fashion. And I can tell you, having done this now for over a dozen years, we'll always entertain reasonable requests for extension of time to respond. Um, when you get the initial grievance, it's often a very... Um, um, difficult process to go through. You feel insulted personally, I'm sure, um, and I'm sure people f take it very personally that someone would complain against them in their professional capacity. We understand that, so we, we want you to take as much time as possible to make a thorough, well-thought-out, well-documented response because it helps us make a determination as to whether we are going to proceed to a public disciplinary matter or not. The initial grievances that come in are generally from the public. You know, someone complains against their attorney. We usually just forward it on to the attorney, as was given to us by the complaining witness, and we just give a cover letter and say, can you please respond to this in two weeks, provide any details or documentation that support your position. Um, by far, we get about 6,000 of those grievances a year, by the way. 
And by far, a large majority of those are closed after we just received the initial response from the attorney. It's sometimes just a matter of clearing up a few details, um, pointing out issues that maybe the, the client or the complainant missed. Um, you know, it's so all we just need is a little bit of cooperation from the respondent attorney, and we can usually do away with the, mo the majority of the complaints that we receive. And I want to make sure we talk the same language. Complaint is a formal proceeding. The grievance is what we're talking about now, which is just the initial complaint from a, from a, a member of the public um, or initial re, uh, request for investigation from our office. Mm -hmm. I, one, one of the situations that I remember helping out an individual with, um, the individual had a flat, this is a billing question, the, the mm -hmm. individual had a, an agreement, an engagement agreement by which it was a fraud case, uh, and the individual paid a certain sum of money to get a complaint at issue and get discovery going. Then down line, when things didn't go that individual's way, the individual um, filed a complaint against the attorney with the ARDC. And the problem was that the bill had to be put together, and the bill was, and I ended up helping on this with the individual, the bill was well over $100,000 in legal fees. It took so long just to get the bill done and there was you know extension and extension um, with the ARDC to get the bill you know more time to get this bill done um, and a lot of people in the past I remember the word on the street when I first graduated from law school was the ARDC doesn't get involved in billing disputes but now a detailed billing is being requested by people uh, can you talk a little bit about that Absolutely, and, and to the, for the most part, you're accurate. Generally speaking, we're not going to intervene in a general fee dispute. Um, we consider that a civil matter, a matter between the, the two parties, unless it's an egregious situation. Obviously, 1.5 governs fee issues and states that all fees must be reasonable, and there's certain parameters with, within which all fee agreements must be met. Um, and now not all fee agreements must be in writing, only contingency agreements have to be in writing. But from a best practices standpoint, we always suggest that people should put their fee agreements in writing and should comport as much as possible with 1.5. Um, but as you stated, you know, when we get a complaint from a client that says, you know, he charged me $25 for a phone call that didn't last 15 minutes, it only lasted 8 minutes, usually we're not going to proceed unless there's some kind of fraud or it's some kind of egregious billing practices, double billing or triple billing, people who are billing for multiple clients on the same trip, things of that nature, or where there's fraud involved. I showed up in court that day, but the documents proved that the, the attorney wasn't in court at all. You know, we pulled the docket and it turns out the attorney didn't show up. Then we will intervene and we will um, investigate. But for the most part, if it's a general fee dispute, there's fee arbitration committee that are sponsored by the bar associations will usually refer the clients to those kind of organizations. Um, in the situation in which you described, I don't know exactly why that matter was investigated here at our office instead of closed at first blush, but it could have been just the sheer amount that was involved and or the, the um, delay in receiving the bill. But as you said, you know, if you merely keep the lines of communication open with our office, if we are in the midst of an investigation, whether it relates to billing practices, overbilling, or any other matter that we're investigating, as long as you keep the lines of communication open with the counsel uh, for the administrator that's handling the file, you know, we'll be uh, as understanding as we can within a reasonable time frame in order to get an accurate response from the attorney because we understand a lot of these complaints can be dealt with between the attorney and the client without having us officially get involved in the matter because really we don't relish the thought of having to take away someone's license to practice law. 
as much as some people like to think we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me and let me let me ask you a question then too, and this is suppose uh, so. I, I suppose I'm presuming the answer here, but what 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 is worse to withhold information or to lie? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, both are going to lead to additional charges here. And I'm when you mean withhold or lie, I'm assuming you mean to our office itself. Um, mm-hmm. We just. We just had a case. I actually tried it myself against an attorney. Um, and it's a public disciplinary matter, which means that I'm free to use the individual's name. But generally speaking, I try not to use any names because I don't want to embarrass anyone. But this particular sure. attorney, um, he uh, he engaged in some misconduct with his client and then tried to pay the client off to not report to the ARDC. Then he came in for a sworn statement here, lied about it, and then tried to cover it up by not giving us enough information. So this particular gentleman pretty much broke every rule that there is. When we looked at the charges on the formal complaint, it was two pages long of charges against this gentleman. We were, I mean... I'd like to call him. He's got the shovels that we need to help dig out with the snow. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, we just wanted to attach a copy of the Rules of Professional Conduct and say, yeah, he broke them all. So I don't know if I could answer which is worse, but I can tell you that both of those problems are are real – real bad issues because, you know, you've got someone here that we're investigating for, you know, whatever the misconduct is. You know, they neglected a case. They breached a statute. They, you know, converted client funds. Um, and as in any matter in which there's an allegation of misconduct, whether it's professional misconduct or criminal misconduct or whatnot, you know, their best bet is always to just cut bait and go with the truth because if not, you're just going to dig your hole deeper, like you said, get the shovel out. And that's going to lead to worse disciplinary charges against you and a higher sanction. Um, you know, if we had just gone on the original charges of misconduct against this particular gentleman I was speaking of, he might have gotten, you know, a six-month suspension, a year suspension. But instead, he got a three-year suspension, which is the highest suspension you could get short of disbarment generally. Um, we usually don't see anything in the four- or five-year range because disbarment is the next is the next step after three years. Um, so he got the highest uh, suspension possible because we caught him in all these lies. We, and, and then the client came in and said, you know what? What happened was the client got herself a new attorney, and the new attorney said, you cannot accept money from this gentleman to not cooperate with the ARDC. And that client, or I'm sorry, that attorney brought it to our attention. And the client came in with canceled checks saying, yeah, he's paying me off to not cooperate with you guys. So we added that on to the unreal. complaint. Um, yeah, you know, no. just another nail in the coffin. Mhm. Mhm. By the way, for anyone who's just tuning in, uh, you're listening to ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. Our dial-in number and call-in number is area code nine one seven eight eight nine nine seven three two. Option one to be placed in the queue. We do have a couple callers in the line, and I'm going to take a question um, in a moment. But first, I want to uh, ask a general question. I know we'll get into these uh, much more in depth when we do a full-length show uh, after the big blizzard or snow. <laughs> or whatever you want to call it is over. But my question is for a lot of the solo practitioners out there in the small firms who where practice management issues sometimes get in the way of practicing law the way people would ideally like to, um, what are some of the most common things that you see uh, as failures of practice management where things are allowed to fall through the cracks and end up, ends up on your desk? Well, by far the number one grievance we receive is failure to communicate neglect issues. Um, and that's 
across the board, and we have our annual report that's on our website, and you could see from a statistical analysis that's the number one type of grievance we get. And i got to tell you, in this day and age, that's just absolutely unconscionable to me. With technology the way that it is, for people to fail to respond to just basic status requests from their clients, it really is problematic. And that's that's mainly what we're seeing in, in those regards is people who just aren't aren't maintaining good client contact. And, you know, and from a small practitioner standpoint, um, I can understand how that could happen, but with technology as it is today, it really doesn't need to happen. Um, the ARDC hosts the law office management course, and I know there's organizations such as, you know, ALRPRA that can help attorneys um, take advantage of um, training so that they can avoid those issues. Um, and I would really recommend people taking advantage of those types of courses because, you know, it, it's, it's a big problem and one that's easily avoidable. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we, you know, we do what we can to help, and we're, um, you know, we talk about it like the four legs of the table being management, technology, marketing, and finance. And if those four legs aren't balanced, your table's not going to be balanced. You're going to have a problem. So we're trying to help the young uh, people right out of law school or people who are coming out of big firms. Uh, just get their get their heads around all these practice management things, especially if you've not run a business before. And we also uh, turn to the ABA. Uh, I'm a very active member of the law practice management section in the ABA, and the ABA has a wonderful set of resources and a whole site dedicated to law practice management too. So um, we, anything that we can all do to help the struggling solos, and you know, being a solo myself, I, I understand a lot of the, the, the constraints on time, and it's very difficult when you've got lots of fires to put out and you're only right. one person with, with limited help. So if we have a couple callers, if one of our callers has a question, you could go ahead. Hi, Nick. This is Melanie. How are you? Hi, Melanie. How are you? Good, good. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Hi, Melanie. Hi. Good. How are you? Good. My name is Melanie Bayana. I'm a I'm a solo, struggling solo <laughs> in the northwest suburbs and primarily practicing in the area of domestic relations. And um, I'm one of Nick's clients also, and he's done wonderful, wonderful things for me. Um, I have a question. I've just been listening here for the past 15, 20 minutes or so. And the ARDC is a wonderful resource. Um, I've actually used them on a number of occasions, both with respect to my um, own personal case and also other cases that I've handled through my my practice. And my question is this. Um, probably one of the reasons I'm a struggling solo is because I, I take ethics and honesty and integrity very, very seriously um, and, you know, take those cases and, and practice in a manner that doesn't take advantage of clients or the system. Now, in listening to you talk, you know, I, I certainly understand the need to to protect attorneys who have been, you know, unfairly charged or uh, their grievances against them or complaints. But at the same time, I've seen a lot of clients who are afraid to file a grievance for a couple of reasons. One, um, my understanding, and if you can answer this question, is that once you file a formal complaint against a lawyer, on some level attorney-client privilege is waived because um, they can then use anything in terms of their communications or work with that client against them to defend their own uh, their own case. And the second thing is, you know, will this client then be blackballed, you know, among other attorneys? So say say somebody comes to me and I ask them, well, who is your former attorney? And then um, 
this person's a buddy of mine or a colleague and and I don't, you know, I think okay, this is a problem client and so I'm not going to take it because I might call up my colleague, right? Right. So that's the first question. The second question, the same holds for um you know, the Himmel requirement. Um I've had situations where it was just so borderline and I, and it was just like do I report? Don't I report? And of course I don't want to bring trouble to somebody that I know or a colleague, but then, and so I have called the ARDC on a number of occasions on those issues. So if you could speak to that, because it it's almost like a whistleblower situation in sure. a corporation, and it, how, how to protect those people who want to clean up our system, clean up our, you know, if you could speak to that, I'd really appreciate sure. it. Absolutely, and, and I apologize. I don't want to give short shift to anything, but I could probably do an hour on, on those topics alone because they are so important. And let me start by congratulating you on having such an enlightened approach to this. Um, and really, that's what the commission is trying to get is, is um, to have attorneys view us more as a resource rather than just this disciplinary arm. Um, so we really do welcome these types of inquiries. Um, and I'm going to start by answering your questions regarding Himmel, I guess, because to me that's more of the easier inquiry, if you will. Now, the Himmel report itself, and I always have to apologize to poor Mr. Himmel, who is still actively practicing to this day, by the way, um, and I always think he and Mr. Miranda need to go get a cup of coffee. <laughs> their, their poor names have been judged through the dirt. But um, the Himmel obligation really only pertains to a certain subset of facts. And basically it says that an attorney who has... Um, unprivileged knowledge that another attorney has committed either criminal conduct that reflects adversely on the profession or conduct involving dishonesty, fraud, deceit, or misrepresentation, that the, the attorney who gains that knowledge has to report that knowledge to a disciplinary authority. Now, like I said to Nick earlier in the program, the bulk of the calls we get to our ethics inquiry program are always attorneys calling up up saying, do I have a Himmel obligation? Do I have to Himmel this guy? Blah, blah, blah. That's, that's what they want to know. And I always say to them, number one, do you want to report? Because we're not going to charge you with disciplinary violation for mistakenly thinking you have a Himmel obligation. You know what I mean? So if you're always concerned about possibly blackballing another attorney or, or, you know, ratting out your fellow counsel, you could always do it under the guise of, I believe I have a Himmel obligation. Here you go. And then it's up to us. Because honestly, what Himmel was all about was an attorney who failed to report his knowledge of another attorney's misconduct, which was in that case conversion. And Mr. Himmel himself, for merely not reporting, got a year suspension. Okay? So... It, to me, it's always better to err on the side of being overcautious, and I think any other attorney would understand that. And if they didn't themselves commit misconduct, then it's easily cleared up. And you could you know, easily understand how another attorney is merely trying to fulfill their obligation to make a HIMO obligation or to make a HIMO report. Um, it's important but, but to remember... You're also, you also run the risk of being blackballed among the legal community, right? Whatever county that you're in. I mean, many, many situations present themselves where... Uh, and again, like I said, I, I think this right. is the risk to the client, the risk to the attorney. Um, this goes true for judges. You know, I mean, there are wonderful, wonderful judges out there, and then there are other judges who, by you know, clear and right. undisputed reputation, should be off the bat, right? right? Um, and so, again, yeah, that's a type of more, you know, uh, 
it's a difficult inquiry to answer, but I can I can always say, I mean, I don't remember which Mark's brother it was that said that's a club I don't want to belong to. If it's a club of people who don't necessarily believe that they need to follow the Himmel rule or the other rules of professional conduct, is it re- do you really worry about your reputation amongst those people to begin with? You know, I mean, if these are people who would uh, deign to blackball another attorney for merely comporting with the rules of professional conduct, one of which is 8.3 and 8.4, which just, which is basically the Himmel in a nutshell um, rules. If if they would blackball you for really following the rules of professional conduct, I don't know if I would really want to be in that social circle anyhow. You know, um, and, and I can tell you for a fact, we get a lot of Himmel reports. I mean, we get a lot of Himmel reports here, and I see it as. I, and I and I don't want to misspeak or I don't want to um, insult any one group, but as a generational issue, um, I think younger attorneys grasp it. I mean, Himmel was black letter law when we were coming up in law school, and it's not a question of should I. It's a matter of, you know, how do I do it because th- there's no more question. You know this is the obligation. Um, some From a generational perspective, some people who have been practicing for quite a long time, I mean decades and decades, they still kind of struggle, I think, with Himmel because they do see it as this, you know, gentleman's club of, you know, you don't want to rat out your fellow counsel. I don't necessarily know that amongst the younger generation of practicing attorneys that that's a big issue these days. Um, We see a lot of Himmel reports, and I don't think it would necessarily blackball you for making a general Himmel report to our office. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to touch real quickly upon your second question, or which is actually your first question. I apologize for taking them out of order. But um, with regard to the confidentiality issues, I want to make sure I clear that up because I would not want anyone to um, feel like they don't they, they can't complain to our office or to bring something to our attention because they're afraid that confidential information will, will be revealed by the attorney. Rule 1.6 is the rule that governs in those circumstances. And basically what we generally say to people, where we see this come up the most is, um, you know, client complains against the attorney. The attorney, who, and we all went to law school, so we're all smart people, responds back very brilliantly and says, I can't respond to this complaint because it's confidential information. I would be violating 1.6. Ha ha. Well, the rules say that a lawyer shall reveal information if it's necessary to establish a claim or defense on behalf of the lawyer in a controversy between the lawyer and the client. But it's only to the extent necessary to defend the lawyer. So when you hear someone say, um, you know, that by virtue of making a complaint, you're waiving your client confidences, it's not that broad. You're only waiving the confidence so that the attorney can reasonably respond to the complaint. Um, you know, if the, attor- if the client complains and says, you know, my client didn't show up to court that day, and the attorney responds with, oh, yeah, they murdered five people, that wouldn't be, you know, reasonably necessary to respond to that allegation. So that in and of itself would be a 1.6 violation. Um, so it's got to be, uh, the attorney-client confidence is waived only to the extent that it's necessary for the lawyer to respond to the complaint against the attorney, uh, the, that's been levied against them and the, the controversy between the lawyer and the client. So I want to make sure that people aren't dissuaded from filing complaints against their attorneys and, and you know, the concern that they're waiving all client confidences because that's not the case. In the same respect, I want to make sure attorneys understand that they can't lean on the client confidentiality issues to, um, you know, avoid their duty to respond, because all attorneys do have a duty to respond, and that's in the Supreme Court rules itself. And if you fail to respond and we have to issue a subpoena in order to compel you to respond, you're um, obligated to pay the cost of obtaining um, information related to the investigation itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So I hope that kind of answers your question generally. It was a really good question. It's one we see a lot. Oh, no, absolutely. I have have another, and and if I can jump in here. um, Please. We have uh, a few minutes left here before, um, just because we had to uh, schedule the show differently today, we got Mm -hmm. cut short in our time allotment. Um, But as a general statement, um, if I could make one, it seems to be that finding the information and working with uh, the ARDC to answer these questions is such a better bet than uh, in days past when people would either go to, um, you know, a senior partner at the law firm or, you know, or what or another a resource. Again, with so many people practicing solo these days, I think people just don't know what to do and how to approach these things. So, again, the theme that I'm seeing over and over again is just call and ask. Just call and ask a question. Uh, right, Melissa? Absolutely. Check our website and call and ask. We have the Ethics Inquiry Program, which is specifically for these issues. Now, again, we can't give binding legal advice, but if someone calls up, just like Melanie, and has a question about a HIMAL obligation or a question regarding the privilege issue, you know, we welcome those types of calls and we'll give as much guidance as possible. We've even um, been able to refer people to specific cases, specific statutes, and particularly which rules of professional conduct govern in the individual hypothetical situations that's posed. Wonderful. Melanie, Nick, do, you, do you have any follow-up? Jim, go ahead. Jim. Yeah, yeah. Good, good morning, Nick, uh, Melanie. Go ahead. Good, good morning, Nick, good. Melanie, and uh, Melissa. Just a quick question. This is an incredibly great program, Nick, and I hope that you bring Melissa back for a full hour. Um, one yeah, of the questions, and, and pardon me? Part two. We have one minute, and we're just going to cut us off. <laughs> Sorry about okay, that. Okay, I will. I will. I will save my questions for part for the next next program. All right, all right. Jim will call in for the next program again. I apologize for the uh, any delay in scheduling or snafu with technology and electronics with the snowstorm and the Blog Talk Radio cipher scheduling stuff. Um, as it tells me at 90 seconds, we're going to come back for part two of this, and we're going to get into these ten questions. And by the way, out to anyone who's listening, and share this please on social media. Let's put together more questions. Give me your questions in advance, and we'll ask. I'll, I'll send them to Melissa, and so we can go through these questions uh, more in depth. Melanie, thanks for calling in. Jim, thanks for calling in, and Melissa, thanks for popping on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, and thanks for accommodating the goofy schedule due to the weather. Um, and I look forward to participating in any follow-up. Wonderful, and happy birthday to the ARDC. Yes. Oh, yes. Happy <laughs> birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Right. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. So, again, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests and among callers and guests on this show does not give rise to attorney-client relationships. If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. This programming is politically neutral and objective, and no counterparts to views expressed are always welcome. Finally, all callers remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRI Incorporated. These Law Talk Radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. This is Nick Augustine for ALRPRI, and we thank you for your time. <laughs>